You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Real Vision Live. I am Ed Harrison for Real Vision, and I am talking to Grand Cayman Rao Powell today, CEO of Real Vision. Hey, Rao, yeah. how are you doing? I was in Little Cayman last week. I'm back in my office in Grand Cayman. Um, I'm, I'm said I've been waiting for my new computer to arrive so I can also do it from my home in Grand Cayman because that's got a nicer backdrop than this bloody NFT of myself, which is great. But everyone sees my head twice, and it's a bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think it looks good. I'm I'm excited. Uh, uh, you know, I I like the changes back and forth between Little and Grand Cayman. So it's uh, it, it adds a little spice to to everything. Exactly. I like to mix it up a bit. Well, speaking of mixing it up, I mean, actually, you know, this is the I think this is the third time you and I are talking one on one. Um, I, I'm excited because uh, there was a long period of time when I didn't get a chance to speak to you on camera about things and. We're now on the, the end of the first week of a great uh, campaign. I think this is a seminal moment for Real Vision. I don't want to be all hyperbolic, but we're talking about uh, the exponential age. And I think that it was some great content. Uh, talk to me about what you uh, take away now that we're one week into no. this. No. <clears throat> I'm so lucky to be able to do this, right? Because you know, there's me and my global and macro investor guys thinking about the world and writing for all these kind of hedge fund managers and family offices and all of that stuff. And I started to see the world differently. And so I wanted to explore it in real vision. So it's kind of me taking over the platform for two weeks and saying, listen, here's my hypothesis, the exponential age. And you and I sat down on the Monday and went through it in great detail for really laid it all out. And then the ability for myself to go and continue to interview people on this theme or get others to go and interview people was fantastic because you can follow the narrative through and explore lots of the topics. And, you know, I kicked it off with you and then followed by Bill Tai. You know, Bill's like, right. it's an unbelievable thinker. You know, every time I talk to him, my head explodes. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's seen so much of the future. I don't know how he sees, you know, some crappy tech startup with a non-functioning product and he figures out this is going to change the world you know whether he did it with with um zoom or whether he did it with dapper labs when they first did crypto kitties you know most of us were chuckling away saying this is a bunch of rubbish and he's like no no you don't understand what this is and he was dead right you know because dapper labs then went on to do this mba kind of slam dunks thing and have started creating the new world of nfts which nobody even thought about properly so that was really interesting. Then Ash and John Nodds says that interview, really interesting about healthcare and how exponential changes are happening there. I mean, we've all seen it with the vaccine. You know, that the, the speed of approval and development of this vaccine was staggering. Um, and that was because the technology was there already. The whole kind of human genome project had been working in the background. Massive amounts of data had been crunched. Artificial intelligence is applied. 
you know, distributed computing power, all of this stuff in the background, exponential things, had all gone together to then create a breakthrough moment for, for, for everybody. And that's going to spread. Now that the technology's been accepted, we can then apply it to other things. But that's happening all over the healthcare world. So that whole thing is changing, whether it ends up being wearable devices, all sorts of things. So that was a really interesting thing. And then your interview with Azeem, again, framing the big picture, but also looking at some of the problems, because this is going to take societal frictions. And I tweeted out this week um, about our series, A World on a Brink, which was mm, a five-part, right. five-long, um, massive deep dive with D. Smith, which is like a documentary that frames all of this. It was a lot of where my th thinking really started to come together was by watching that. I've watched it maybe four times now, which is a... You know, that's 20 hours of watching that. It's <laughs> so good. And it's so spot on. And every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, my God, this was dead right. About how this change, this pace of change, this exponential age creates problems for all of us to try and come to terms with. So that was really interesting as well. And then I've been following the share price of VW. And, you know, the car companies have been pretty crappy, obviously, through COVID. And then suddenly VW exploded higher. I'm like, what was that about? And I started digging in and realizing that they were one of the car companies at the forefront of change. And so I wanted to know what they were up to and how they thought of it. So managed, amazingly, Haley managed to get me a booking with the head of innovation. And that was stunning to sit down and talk to him about where this is all going. Um, firstly, one of the things we found out is that these legacy car companies, unlike the startups like Tesla and Nikolai and stuff, had to start with a traditional business and build these businesses on the side. And it was just a pouring in of costs that had to fund out their balance sheet as opposed to raising capital as the startups had. Right. So it yeah. was slower, it cost them money, it cost them margin. And now they're starting to launch product and it's starting to come clearer where they're coming. It's starting, people are starting to realize that Car companies are going to go from linear to exponential. Firstly, an adoption of electrovoltaic vehicles, but then all of the technology, they've become technology companies. They weren't. They were linear improvements to a very old um, technology. Now that's changed completely. Throw it out. and We've got the exponential adoption of battery technology, the exponential adoption of Internet of Things, autonomous vehicles and what that means for the world, 5G, uh, smart cities, and all of this kind of added together, <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, the car company is now at the epicenter of something massive. And then renewable energy is part of that whole thing and carbon offsets and all of this. It's, it's incredible. So really amazing week of, like, mind-blowing, deep learning about, okay, there's some real opportunity. We might live in a slightly fucked world where interest rates can't go anywhere, currencies don't move anywhere, credit markets are kind of manipulated. But somewhere within that is this big opportunity to make some exponential money. Yeah. And, you know, actually that last interview that you were just talking about, I think it goes into so many different arenas. It definitely was mind blowing. I think it was great. Uh, the whole carbon. Oh, you and I, we talked about the carbon emission thing. We can talk about that a little bit later because I've been thinking about that from a European perspective in terms of the European tech industry. I think in our conversation, we talked about, you know, that's where the Europeans will go. Um, I have a just a general question for you. I, the first one is how much of your own macro thinking was reinforced 
by what you heard from other people during this week? Uh, very much. And the feedback that I've got, firstly, when I first wrote about it in Global Macro Investor, the feedback I've had from that article was the most I've ever had in the 17 years of writing it. And I've had, even yesterday, another well-known hedge fund manager called me up and said, I've quit and I'm doing this. Wow. And it's crypto plus this exponential stuff. And I've probably had that conversation 30 times since I wrote the article with really, really well-known people. You know, some really famous hedge fund managers who've now disappeared into the, uh, you know, away from the limelight. Um, I, I got a lovely text last weekend or the weekend before from him saying, this is so spot on. This is why I've left. And it's, it, and not only that, but I'm getting it on Twitter as well as people are like, okay, I, I get this. There's something really positive here that we can fear the change and you can see it in the comment section. People just, some people don't want this change and that's okay, right. yeah, yeah. But, but it's happening, but it's happening. Yeah. So even if you fear it, can you profit from it? And my thesis is, yes, we should be. We should be able to create real wealth from, from taking advantage of some of these really fantastic opportunities. Yeah, and speaking of change, I think honestly, we should probably make the change at uh, RV to continue uh, this whole concept of integrating uh, this kind of thinking. This is a new, uh, a new uh, place for us to be uh, blowing people's minds uh, in terms of content at Real Vision. Look, we can really add value because a lot of this was really where the VC industry was years ago. I mean, I, you know, I'm not ahead of them. They were way ahead of, of, of me, but that's their job. It wasn't part of main school macro because it didn't fit within our framework of understanding. And I've hopefully tried to reframe it to say, actually, it is a macro thesis now. And in fact, it's so important a thesis that I've changed my entire framework to be based around this. Um, and that's a big thing for me to say. That doesn't mean the business cycle is not important. That doesn't mean we abandon investing in, in, in non-exponential assets. But it means that we tend to be buyers of call options, i.e. things that can go up a lot, as opposed to buyers of put options to hedge downside risks. You know, it's just it ch it's a change of mind in what's possible. Um, and I think cryptocurrencies have helped people understand this, what adoption looks and feels like. And it's not a smooth path. The, the path to exponential involves a lot of volatility, but the volatility is, is part of the journey. You know, like um, we were talking before we started about ARC. You know, ARC is something I'm really interested in. And I know a lot of people don't like it because they fear for its concentration risk and its illiquidity risk. But I think that's what the point is, is there is risk, but there is enormous upside. And I'm pretty happy to see a lot of this stuff correct uh, in recent weeks. Because, you know, this is a long-term story, and the cheaper you can buy this stuff, or the lower in price you can buy this stuff, the more upside you're going to have. And I, th I think that remains the case. So all of this stuff is really interesting to me. It, I'm not in, invested in a lot of it yet, because I'm still hyper-concentrated in crypto, plus a little bit in the carbon trade. Um, but this is where my focus wants to be. I, I just know that there's gigantic opportunity for whoever wins autonomous vehicles. What happens to AI? What happens to wearable technology, the Internet of Things, 5G? I mean, what, what this does for emerging markets. Uh, 
I've just filmed and you'll see it next week. An amazing mm -hmm. interview with um, uh, uh, a guy from India who's got a startup in the kind of credit card fintech space. Um, and what's going on in India, again, I mean, people don't really realize the step change in technological advancement and what it's going to do for productivity and GDP in these countries. It's, it's simply amazing. So, you know, that's all uh, good. Uh, however, uh, I'm going to throw a wrench into that. I'm going to ask you how much of your macro thinking was dispelled uh, in this last week? What, what can you point to me which says, you know, wait a minute, I got to rethink this or I have to think a little bit more broadly about this? Um, nothing in particular, but the nature of the content wasn't going to give that. You know, um, I do understand that. I, I think the most valid pushback is not, is this going to happen? I think it's almost without question going to happen. Um, and I appeared on a panel for a family office conference talking about some of this. And there was some pushback, but I think people understand the nature of what is happening. The issue is, is what societal impact it can have. And, yes. I, I, get, and I get that. That is a serious and real and meaningful issue. And that is something that we're going to have to navigate incredibly carefully. Yeah, I think 100%. You know, you know, earlier in your response, you mentioned uh, some interesting things about where we are in the markets in terms of market correction. Let me just tell you where the markets ended up today. You know, the Dow Jones was up at 1%, uh, 360 points, but the S&P 500 up 1.5%, uh, 61 points, and the NASDAQ was up the most today, 2.3%, uh, uh, 304 points. The interesting bit, though, is the Nasdaq was down on the week, and this is the fourth week in a row the Nasdaq's down. You talked about a correction. Yes, uh, we have seen tech sell off in a big way, uh, four weeks in a row. W what are your thoughts on where this goes from here? Well, I think this value versus growth trade is still in play right now, and I think it's just a counter-cyclical trend. I don't think that um, value will outperform growth because of these factors at play. Um, and I think that this is an ongoing mega trend that is not a mean reverting trend. So it, it is different this time. Doesn't mean that value won't do well. Doesn't mean you can't pick great stocks. Doesn't mean any of that. But it's going to be hard to beat these exponential trends. Um, I think the corrections... You know, these things did get overextended, that run up that we saw in the last few months of last year, early into this year, into all these growth names was just simply gigantic. And that was too much. And that needed to get corrected. And it's still correcting now. And there's probably a bit more correction to go. Who knows? Um, but overall, I think it's temporary because the view that I've got is interest rates aren't going up. So a lot of people said, well, if interest rates go up, then that's going to stop these growth names because um, they act like zero coupon bonds, sort of. Um, I think that realistically, interest rates, even if inflation runs hotter, you know, underlying inflation over time, as opposed to the year-on-year -year base effects of what happened last year, even if they run hotter, the Fed won't allow rates to go up. It's kind of right. financial repression, but that means that these names have to go up. And heaven forbid they really sell off, or growth slows, which I think it will in the second half, as people start looking forward to the fiscal cliff coming off and a, a number of other issues, well, 
you know, and also the rise in prices of you know commodities, fuel, and stuff like this, that slows down consumption somewhat. So I think we will see a slowdown as well coming later at the end of this year and into next year. Um, and that probably allows the Fed or the government to apply more stimulus. And that's normally the pattern that comes out of recessions. They don't do, they're not done at the end of the recession because normally there's a slowdown at the end of the fiscal and they start having to do something again to keep the economy balanced because they don't want it to stop. Uh, I think we're going to see that two or three rounds, much like we saw last time, two or three rounds of it. Um, so in that scenario, it's very difficult for equities to stop going up and, and these kind of names not to benefit greatly if the Fed keep expanding their balance sheet. You know, as, as we've talked about, the Fed and the central banks are expanding their balance sheets by about 15% a year. I mean, this is, this is true. Um, one of the things that I was on a call with and Marco Papic kind of half jokingly but half realistically explained is that amount of green investment that's coming from the US, Europe, and a few other places is larger than all stimulus ever done added together in history. And it's all in one sector, which is the greening out of the world. Um, Now, again, I'm really not interested in anybody's views on, on climate change. What I'm interested in is the flow of funds and what it does for investments. And as you said earlier, is a lot of this is centered around Europe, where there's a real chance that Europeans can develop some world-leading technology because the amount of money flowing into the sector, both from the EU itself, from governments and the private sector, that's going to generate change because entrepreneurs will see the opportunity and start pressing for change and creating new businesses. So it's actually good for Europe, finally, to have a story they can get their teeth into because they missed Web 2.0. They missed that whole thing. They were not players at all. Could they be players in the green revolution? Most likely. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You know, that uh, makes me think about a paradigm that I think I, I'm thinking about. Let me tell you how I'm thinking about it. Uh, and it's related to the Internet age, uh, Internet 1.0. So when you talk about call options and then you talk about the flow of funds, I think to myself about uncertainty. So when we're looking at an exponential change and we're looking at uh, uh, things happening in a rapid way, innovation Really, wh- who is the next Amazon? If you, if you go back to 1997, 98, 99, which of those com- companies, AOL, uh, you know, uh, Pets.com, uh, Amazon, uh, would you have thought Apple, um, Cisco was going to be a winner 20 years from now? You don't know what the answer is. So in some senses, if you look at the share price, it's really a call option on the future. And given the lack of clarity as to which of those call options has uh, validity, you're going to want to have a lot of call options. You're not going to ha- want to have one call option or one call option there. You're going to want to have a lot of them. And when everyone is following this strategy at the same time, you know, trying to corral as many different call options as possible, existentially, you have to have a bubble. 
you have to have prices go up to a level that's almost unsustainable because you're tending in the direction of call options everywhere. And some of well, those call options will come good. And, and this is the key point of exponential trends is usually within these things, people overestimate the speed of change in the beginning and underestimate the speed and magnitude of change at the end. So the long picture, they don't get right at all. Like far off, they underestimate it all. Short term, they think it's all going to occur immediately. So we tend to create boom-bust cycles within this, and that's pretty normal. We see it within Bitcoin. We've seen it within Amazon. We've seen it within all of these things. You know, excess enthusiasm, then know I'm all wrong, and they're called S-curves generally. Um, and that's very normal for this space. You see it in startups. You see it in building real vision out. We go through these moments of euphoria, like we've cracked it, and then we're like, we're idiots, and it's all terrible, and then this is amazing. That is the life cycle of, of these things, particularly when you're trying to build network adoption models. So the way to look at it over time is what is their, the growth of their, their network, not necessarily their sales, because that will get you down the wrong path, is, is their network adoption within that? Now, you know, the car companies, I don't know who's going to win this. And that was the discussion with VW, you know, because somebody's going to make a trillion dollars out of being the company that cracks the best autonomous driving now over time other players will come in but could it be waymo could it be could it be vw and their partnerships could it be um tesla or could it be somebody else we don't know i know josh wolf has invested in a company doing this we don't know but the only way to price a whole space moving is as you say you create a basket of call options and over time, some of those call options will be worth zero. Others will be worth 100x. And that's fine. Um, you so know, the, the thing about 100x and zero, if you, have, if you have five zeros, 10 zeros, and you have one 100x, you've just made a lot of money. Exactly right. And that's basically been the VC model. Now, it gets a little bit easier than VC because it's quite difficult to know any adoption at all with the VC model um, because it's pre-revenue often. But here we we can sort of see it as we go. So you can lower the risks of making those big bets. Um, and there are you know, smarter ways of doing it. You know, there are ways of finding fund managers who can do this for you so they can hold it within a portfolio so you don't have to manage 100 different names. Um, or you can concentrate your bet in something that, like copper, is going to benefit from the whole EV electrical electricity revolution. Well, copper is likely to do well over time. And there's a short supply of copper. So there's ways of taking this bet that are not as risky because it captures the overall theme. Um, and I think, you know, crypto for me has been one of those because you can hold baskets of stuff. But that whole space, you know, I tweeted something about this yesterday. That whole space is going to go from 126 million users. It's growing at 113% a year in terms of number of users. It will get to even if it slows to the rate that the internet grew at in its first 10 years, it's, and that was 63% a year. So this is the fastest growing adoption of any technology in all recorded history. If this continues to grow just at the rate the internet did, we get to a billion users by 2024. Uh, that's quite fast. <laughs> and that'll be the fastest yeah. adoption of any technology to a billion people in all recorded history. And then we throw in stuff like Facebook DM and stuff like that. And we talked about this in our interview. These things are, 
Incredible. So how do you participate in that? Well, at a simple level, Bitcoin will work. And you will have an up and down cycle, like you said. There'll be excess enthusiasm, then this is not going to happen. And then, oh my God, this is all happening. And that's how it works. Yeah, you know, I want to get into uh, the crypto space. Uh, so hold that thought, because I have, I have a, a big question for you. But I, I've see, I see that all the questions from the audience are coming through. Gabrielle has a question for the car companies that you just mentioned. Here's the question. How, uh, Gabrielle says, how will car industry uh, become exponential aside from the movement when the shift to electrification occurs? Don't you think it's ahead of its time, given battery technology and the fact that emerging markets rely on coal? But more importantly, renewables are largely unscalable and unreliable. Okay, the issue is you're looking at the current state. If you look at all exponential trends, they do this and then this. The idea is you've got to be early in that stage and then ready when it goes. So always at this phase, you don't see the exponentiality and it's always racked with fear and doubt. But we know that it's going to get there because it's driven by mandate and money. So the probability of it going exponential in the technological adoption of these things is huge. Uh, what does that mean for car companies? Well, it means that any delivery in the world can be delivered by an autonomous vehicle. So it just changes the way we use vehicles. It changes the types of vehicles that are sold. But the technology itself can have all sorts of other implications of which we can't yet imagine now. Because that kind of 3D navigable view of the world that works for autonomous vehicles, scarily enough, work for drones and robotics then. Um, and then so then you've got robots that function within our streets. Okay, I know that's scary for people, but that's what this means. This is not just about cars. This is about technology, technology that shapes the future of everything that we understand. And, and you know, when you uh, talk about that, I immediately I think about in this question, I'm thinking about uh, exponents. I'm thinking about exponential. Uh, num I'm thinking about the numbers in my head. Because as you said to me earlier this week, people don't get exponents. They don't, uh, let me give you an example. So if I go and I go from, uh, if I double something, I go from one to two, and then later to four and eight and so forth, you know, going from uh, the first order to the fifth order gets me up to two to the fifth power, which is 32. But if I take a five more orders, then I get up to 1,024. The difference between two and 1,000 is 500 times versus the difference between two and 32 is only 16 times. You see what I mean? I mean, it's like an order of magnitude difference. People just don't understand that that's what's happening. When you're doubling something, every, every time it doubles, it's just unbelievable how quickly so, that you works. know, Einstein talked, said that the, you know, the, the second most powerful law in nature is compounding. Um, and... This is compounding on steroids. We're not compounding 10% interest, 5% interest. We're compounding 100% growth rates. I mean, the crypto space is growing at 113% a year. So that gets us to 2030 at 5 billion people. I mean, get your heads around that. 125, to 5, 125 million to 5 billion people in a decade. I mean, wow. Exactly. So I think, you know, when when I look at his question and he's talking about what's happening in the here and now, he's not thinking exponentially. And so, you know, that would be my my uh, thought to him. 
That's yeah. right. Now, uh, here's a, here's a, let me go back to the crypto question here, Rao, because um, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I, maybe I, I asked you this question before, uh, but it's going to open up a whole can of worms, this whole Ether, uh, uh, Ethereum network versus Bitcoin. I think I saw in one of our videos, you said something about uh, that you were more leveraged to Ether and the Ethereum network than you were to Bitcoin from an investment perspective. And the reality is, is, is that that uh, space is growing more. Um, how do you think about uh, network effects in in that space and also call optionality in the crypto space? So, so my current allocation, because I know everybody asks, I'm now currently about 25% Bitcoin, 55% Ethereum, and 20% uh, other um, um, tokens. Why? is Ethereum my bigger bet right now at this point in the cycle? It's because it is seeing different network effects. So it's got the network effect of investors, so people piling in. There's the network effect of developers working on the space, which dwarfs any of the other spaces in crypto. And then there's the network effect of the applications being built on, like DeFi and NFTs. So you've got this holy trinity of things happening and then on top of it, you've got this change to ETH 2.0, which basically massively reduces the supply because they're burning ETH. So what happens is it becomes a scarcer asset. So then you've got a super scarce asset that is in massive demand from investors, from applications, and from um, developers. The other problem with ETH has been the high fees, and that remains the thing, the gas fees. But within the part of the transition to ETH 2.0 is this move to proof of stake and how this may lower the gas fees significantly and free up the network. And people are then building layer two solutions across it to make sure that we can get around this. So all I see is this giant sucking sound of talent into the Ethereum space right now. Um, that means that it is growing faster and it's playing out in the price of Ethereum versus Bitcoin. So it's kind of double, it's it's up. So Ethereum's currently up, if I look down my Bloomberg screen here, Ethereum's up 450% this year, Bitcoin's up 75. I mean, that's that couldn't be starker. And also now with the, the FUD narrative, uh, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt narrative of, um, of Elon Musk and the <laughs> greenness of Bitcoin, which I'll come on to this, I've got my own theories on that. Um, that is one of the things I believe the ECB started was this, well, it's not green, look at the mining costs. Right? If we looked at everybody's kettle use across the world, it's probably more than that of the whole of the electricity of Norway. I mean, people just, it's because they've sliced it this way that it makes it look bad. I think it's the ECB to, trying to slow institutional adoption by pushing the ESG mandate back at these people saying, hey, you've got a mandate here and this doesn't fit into your mandate very well. And that slows adoption. I get why they're doing it. Problem is, is that creeps into Ethereum, which has a much lower energy input. So it just creeps out of one space and into another. You're not stopping the rise of digital assets. You're just slowing down Bitcoin at this phase. It'll speed up again at some point too, probably particularly when the ETF launches. When, when you mention ECB and uh, Elon Musk in the same breath, Suddenly, you you get a dichotomy that you're like, 
Okay, now, Raul, tell me uh, what your, your thinking is, because you said, I haven't thought about Elon Musk. Elon Musk is supposed to be, you know, a, a cowboy, and uh, he's an ESG guy because he's at Tesla. So why is he kowtowing to the ESG mandate that people like the, the uh, ECB are trying to impose upon uh, companies? Firstly, I know the comment section is like, yeah, but Elon Musk, you know, they fill up the cars with electricity and that's burnt, built on coal power. We understand it's not a perfect world. So let's assume that, that, that Tesla is relatively green compared to other car companies. That's all you need to assume. But we also know that he's been his um, profitability or his ability to run that business has been based on on subsidies, because you know that is how governments are driving green innovation is they give subsidies until these things catch their own traction and then they're able to lower the cost of production and everything works out. There is a new initiative coming from Biden, which is a new kind of carbon system, and Tesla have applied to be one of the six participants in that. So it makes a nice statement if you say, well, actually, we're not going to accept Bitcoin because, um, you know, greenness. OK, that helps them set up for this new system that he wants to be part of, because obviously they are one of the least pollutant industries in America right now. So he will get a lion's share of the better credit. So that itself you, could be a cynical lens. Additionally, uh, the cynical lens is he's also been pumping Dogecoin. And people right, are like, what yeah. the hell is this about? And yes, it's a meme. Yes, it's the crypto of the people. Yes, it's kind of stupid. But I've mentioned this before on this show is, but also it's starting to create network effects that a lot of people own it. So if you can now create use cases, well, then it's something interesting. Now, um, Mark Cuban was the first to see this. And he said, yeah, you could buy Dallas Mav stuff with Dogecoin because it's the <laughs> coin of the people. So it was kind of done as fun. But it's exchangeable, so why not? Now, my guess is Tesla are going to accept it for payments, and they might even use it for Internet of Things streaming payments and stuff like that, because basically Elon, a bit of a megalomaniac, fancies conquering Mars, would quite like his own currency. And if he can kind of reverse into Doge and make that essentially Elon community coin, he's got free access to capital. Um, it's an astonishing thought. But that's potentially what's at play here. I could be wildly wrong, and it's all a joke. But I just you join a few dots, and you, you can get to something interesting. And I've been talking about this for a while, that I wasn't going to shake off Doge, because once you attract that many people into the ecosystem, it becomes attractive for people to do something with it. So that's what I think is happening. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, actually, I would probably put Mark Cuban in that uh, realm earlier than I would Elon Musk. He's definitely thinking in those those terms, the network effects. It's like, if I can get this thing to have network effects, then I can make it so that it is the, the, the new uh, currency. That it becomes a player almost automatically. It is pretty fascinating, you know, using basically your celebrity to create the network effects and therefore to give currency to the, this asset. And I've been talking about this internally at Real Vision and externally to a lot of people. We are entering into an age of communities. It's not corporations that hold the power, but communities. It's a wholesale change in how the world works. And this is going to be driven by token economics. And whether it was Elon Musk, whether it's Kathy Wood, whether it's Chamath, whether it's Mark Cuban, 
people are starting to understand the power of communities and the communities that they can build around themselves and their businesses. Uh, and it is in immensely powerful. And tokens drive communities because they create the right behavioral structures. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You know, uh, this is over my head, Raul, so you can definitely uh, pass on this question. But uh, the first question that we got was from William H. Uh, he uses the term algorand. That's the part that, you know, I clearly have no idea what it's about. But his question was, and, and feel free to just pass, is view on proof of work versus proof of stake. And then he sa uh, says, in parentheses, or our pure proof of stake with algorand. That's where I'm just like I have yeah. no idea what the guy's I'm, talking I'm about. I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy. Um, I, you know, I'm I'm not the guy who who really has an interest in all the intricacies of each protocol versus each other. Um, that's not my bet. My bet is the whole space. Um, the bet, my bet is pressing the bets on the winners, which is Ethereum right now and Bitcoin. Um, and I have some baskets, a basket in the space to give me broad exposure to many of the other tokens. But I'm starting to take more significant bets myself, macro bets around community tokens, uh, exchanges, um, metaverse, and some of these narratives that people on Real Vision have seen me explore. And I've started to realize how big these are and how relatively um, cheap they are as potential future large networks. Uh, and therefore, the tokens are probably underpriced to me. Okay, fair enough, and you know, I, I think that that that, that works for me. Um, so here's a good question for you. Let me preface the question. Okay, I'm going to put it in my terms. Uh, you, you, earlier in the the conversation here, you were talking about stimulus. Uh, you were talking about Biden, uh, the fact that he wants to get reelected. They're going to put more stimulus on uh, in order to make that happen. And you also mentioned the fact that in the U.S., the U.K. Uh, the uh, Europe, et cetera, we're going to have massive amounts of investment, some of that deficit spending investment via uh, green energy. Add all that together, and we're sort of in a new paradigm where you have massive amounts of government spending in order to fund this transition that we're talking about. So here is the question in that context. Jerry V. Hall, he says, Rowan Ed, question. Is there really a business cycle anymore? That's the question. There is a business cycle for the economy. We will see this business, the cycle slow down again. We will probably see another recession again. What we learned is that it, it won't affect assets in the same way because of debasement of the denominator, which is fiat currency overall. Now, in fiat currency, in, 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 um, in Fed balance sheet terms, for example, the markets can go down or trade sideways. But in nominal terms, they're probably unlikely to do that. So looking for that extended 18-month bear market that comes with a recession, no. Can we see a period of time where the markets go sideways for a year or two? Yes. But the, the economic slowdown plus a extended 
decline in markets is now currently near impossible, which is bizarre. But that's what it taught us with the biggest recession in all recorded history, and it went down for a month. I mean, that, that was it, a month. Because what happened is this change in denominator value. So it's a very different thing. Let's see how long the market actually takes in Fed balance sheet terms to make a new relative high versus the one in 2018-19. My guess is going to take a little longer than people imagine. And that's the way we need to think about this. So let's let's play devil's advocate here. Uh, let's talk about the Lehman moment, okay? Because the way I'm looking at the Lehman moment is that at some point in time, so uh, we, we had uh, Northern Rock, uh, you know, the, the Bank of England uh, guy, he was like, I'm not going to bail these guys out. Lo and behold, when uh, push came to shove, he bailed him out. Then, you know, we had um, the uh, Bear Stearns event that, you know, they bailed them out, uh, gave it basically for free almost to J.P. Morgan Chase. And then finally Lehman. Oh, oh no. Then we had Fannie and Freddie. And then people were like, you know, how many companies are you going to bail out? So the Fed said, you know what? Uh, the Fed put. The, the feds put it's we're we're, we're going to let this company uh, go bust and then all hell broke loose and we had the great financial crisis some people postulate if they hadn't have uh, let lehman go bust we never would have had the great financial crisis so my question to you devil's advocate was why isn't it true that we could get another lehman uh, at some point in time the feds say that's enough we're not going to uh, provide because the put Global debt has doubled since that moment, <laughs> right? So, so what happens is the outcomes are even worse. It was staggeringly bad then if we lost the financial system. It was catastrophic if we lost Europe in 2012. But since then, global debt has doubled. So first corporate debt doubled, or more than doubled, and now government debts have doubled. It's only household debts that haven't gone up exponentially. So should anything like that happen, that's the end of everything, right? Because the risks get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, you know, and this is what people focus on the end game. And I'm not focused on the end game. I'm focused on, A, taking advantage of the situation that's been given to us, which is the stimulus, the devaluation of the balance sheet, um, the rise in exponential technologies driven by governments and stimulus, and also this new parallel system that's being built in the financial world, which is the crypto market, and say, let's play in that instead and stop looking for that end game. And let's just instead play the migration game across the digital assets, because it's a damn sight easier, because things are going up and in your favor. You're not fighting a trend. You've got this exponential trend behind you. That's so much easier and so much easier to sleep at night than trying to fight, you know, shorting the market to say one day it's all going to go wrong. Right. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. Um, and uh, here, here's a good question for you, uh, speaking of the exponential age. Um, uh, question for Rao. This is uh, Luis Garinas. He says, how will the exp exponential age affect the really poor uh, developing countries? Is it really possible to have everyone in the world connected to the Internet and digital world? Yes, I, I know India well. India now has uh, 1.2 billion people on mobile phones with almost free data. So that allows them to do things like sell their goods in marketplaces, in local marketplaces on that. Every people and you'll see it from the India thing, about 1.1 billion people are now in the, in fact, every single person in India is now in the banking system. That's unbelievable. 
They all have access to a bank account. They all have mobile phones, whether they're rural or city dwellers. So what that gives you is access to credit. They're building out a DeFi layer. The DeFi layer allows for credit access to smaller people and smaller businesses. That's a game changer. They're offering credit, so credit cards, and that's the interview with these guys at Simple, who I spoke to, the Indian guys. What they're doing, absolutely groundbreaking. I mean, they're building out a business where you essentially have a modern age credit card, which is a, some sort of digital wallet built on the back of India's new payments architecture. And you get to settle your bills every two weeks or one month, like you would with your credit card, for zero interest. It's 25% interest in the United States for a credit card right now. This is zero interest, and it's cheaper for the merchants. This is the kind of thing that changes lives in third world. Remittances, payments, direct subsidies from governments without a middleman stealing it when it goes to the office and you know the, the guy at the town hall taking the money gets rid of the corruption. These are so mm, yeah. big and so powerful. Um, the ability to connect with consumers of the products that you make, particularly farmers, huge. Price discovery, so you're not so you're not having to deal with the local mafia on how, what they buy their potatoes off from you at. You, you're able to get market prices where you can then sell yours on your mobile phone to a um, to the best price in a marketplace. Game changing. So yeah, no, this is utterly revolutionary. Yeah, um, I want to go back to the the uh, that, that European out with that without healthcare and education. Both of which go are going onto mobile phones. So again, game changing for everybody. So, uh, Luis, uh, there you go. Do not despair. There are changes that will affect everyone. Um, so, Rao, uh here I have a, a theory for you. I'm going uh, to I'm going to use this question to get my thinking in here. And, and you know, it's somewhat cynical, and I've talked to you about it before. It's with regard to Europe. Sovereign debt crisis, which you mentioned before, very bad for Europe. I think it's bad from a sovereignty perspective. It, that was the key issue. This is why the UK got out. So green energy is massively deficit-oriented. Uh, uh, it's going to be a problem from an investment perspective if you have the Maastricht rules. So I think that they're going to violate the Maastricht rules by doing it at the supranational level. And the three reasons that they're going to do it are one, it removes the deficit issue as a, an area of potential conflict uh, regarding sovereignty. Two, it locks in chronic debtor governments within the euro area because of the desire to benefit from EU-wide largesse. And then three, it creates the need for EU-wide financing. Uh, you can, you can, it uh, creates a EU-wide safe asset to replace German bunts as a de facto uh, EU safe asset. And so that gives competition to the US dollar. So those are the three reasons I think that Europe is going to go green at the EU level. Uh, yes, what say I mean, you? Yeah, look, there is, and we talked about this in our interview uh, on Monday. Yes, there is an ability to use this to consolidate power uh, within the EU. All governments are seeing this opportunity to do so. This is the new deal. This is the new deal. It's exactly the same, and that's what it did. And what it does is shift the political landscape too. So this is the new Green Deal, and it's global. It's China, it's the US, it's Europe, it's Japan, it's everywhere. So it is massive, it's meaningful, and it's a structural shift. But also, so, uh -huh. 
but also the carbon credit system in Europe and the one that's rolling out in the US and the one that's in New Zealand and the one that's in Australia and all of these others are also meaning that the private sector is sharing this, which is a whole new way. And it's not via direct taxes, it's via behavioral actions. If you pollute by this much, then you have to buy this many credits. Oh, look, the credits have gone up. Oh, suddenly your coal power plant? Well, that's out of commission now because you can't afford to run it. Um, very clever system. And it also means that basically you're co-opting in that massive structural change to industry too. So, you know, you stole my thunder from the question because that was the question that I was, I was prefacing too. Uh, the question was from Mark, and he was saying, how do you approach investing in carbon credits offsets, i.e. what financial instruments? So there you go, yeah, you so, did it. So the purest one is EU ETS futures, which is on Bloomberg called Modec. You can trade it on interactive brokers as well and a couple of other platforms. That is the purest bet. It's been a stunning bet so, so far. I put that bet on in early Feb. Um, it just basically goes up in a straight line because it's actually driven to do that. You've seen the series of three interviews on Real Vision. Uh, watch the interview with, um, so that was with the team at Citibank. They ran us through the whole thesis. We then dug into the biggest player in the space. Well, the, the, the guy with the most committed view running capital, which is Pierre Andrand, the famous energy trader. He talks us through his thesis and how it works. And then we talked to the leading independent analyst in the space, uh, Lawson Steele, who told us in detail his model where he thinks this is going. Let me interrupt you for one second before you go on, because you're, you're t saying this in very normal terms. I, I want to be a little bit emphatic. This is a big fucking deal. Well, people are not, you know, people on the Real Vision platform are not tuning in to why this is a big fucking deal. And we need to, we, we need to make it a, a big deal. People don't yeah, know I mean, that no, this is a no, game changer. I mean, I, I, I went through the journey of discovery because somebody pinged me on Bloomberg and said, have you seen this chart? I then started going down the rabbit hole like, holy shit, this is incredible. I then got the best experts in the entire world on Real Vision for everybody to level the playing field. So I'm the, not the one getting the important access to the information. Everybody gets at the same time as me. So everybody's there to participate. And Lawson told them, OK, if you can't trade futures, there's the KRBN um, equity. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good based in the US. And there's another one that's based in Europe. I can't remember what it is, GRN or something like that, that's based there. So here you go, people. Get involved. And what you're doing by investing in this is pushing up the price of carbon, which actually starts greening out Europe faster. So again, this is the power of what Real Vision does. That's the power of this exponential week. It's about giving you these huge thematics, the crypto stuff that we've driven. We're kind of giving you it with a bow wrapped around it and said, listen, guys, we believe in democratization of the very best financial intelligence. Here it is on a plate. But what kind of pisses me off is people hit me up on Twitter and say, well, how do I get involved in that trend? I'm like, watch the interview. Don't read me on Twitter and <laughs> yeah. follow a trade. I've set up the three interviews for you to become an expert, as I am. I'm now pretty good knowledge on that trade. And I just did it by those three conversations. It's all there for all of you. We can give you all the information in the world. You just need to watch it. Okay, thank you. See, now, um, by my uh, getting anybody, right, I need to get invested $250 in their education in getting a subscription to Real Vision would have made that $250 back in the carbon credit trade alone. Right. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. And that happens 
at an exponential rate across Real Vision content from all the incredible things. There are trades that I have no idea about that people have got. You know, Tony Greer nailing commodities or Julian Brigden nailing commodities. You know, I missed all of that. Those guys are on there. You know, there's the people who've nailed the volatility markets. There's people who've nailed all sorts of things across this. It's, it's amazing what's there. And, you know, I, I, I must admit, you know, here we are in the middle of this exponential age campaign. Those of you who are watching this on YouTube or listening on the podcast, you have no idea what you're missing. And literally, it costs you $1 to watch this for two weeks. Normally, the $1 trial is for one week. We've kept it for two weeks to give you ability to digest all this content. I'm giving you the free knowledge to change your life. And with it, you get all of the Real Vision back catalog that you can gorge on for that dollar. And if you don't think it's worth $250 after that, I don't know what information you need. There is more information here than you can ever want. The world's most famous hedge fund managers are on Real Vision every day. I mean, I get pinged by incredibly famous people who are like, thank you. This was game changing for me. And I'm just trying to say, this is what we built for you all. And yes, you can watch some of it three weeks out of date on YouTube and think you're getting the real deal. You're missing it. You're missing the actual incredible knowledge journeys that are there for you and the ability to, to, to create a new financial future for yourself. It's all there. We're not promising riches. We're not a newsletter. We don't sell results. We're there to widen your minds and show you that there are opportunities and to educate you to take advantage of them, not to recommend anything to you. I think we can just end it right there, Raoul. You said it all. Stop the mic drop. <laughs> exactly. Very well done. Yes. So, you know, actually, we let, let us let us end it relatively soon. I have one more question. But, you know, just the marketing team from Real Vision, if you're watching this, just take that, cut that out. I mean, that's exactly the point, really. Um, here's, the, here's the last question for you, Raoul. Uh, this is from Jonas. Uh, what do you take? Of, uh, this is just going back to the markets today. What do you take of this By sudden the way, fall? Half a million people, half a million people are subscribers to the YouTube channel. And you guys, thank you. That's great. But really, honestly, you don't know what you're missing. Sorry, Ed. Yeah, and, and now is the time to, to make that transition because this is a game-changing event, things that are happening in the world, and we're putting it all together in one package. Um, uh, so what do you make of this volatility, the sudden fall in volatility yesterday and today in, in the guise of going back to our previous question of where we headed over the short to medium term in markets? You talked about the rotation trade, huge decline in volatility. What does that mean, not just for equities, but across different markets in terms of the setup? Don't really have a view. The honest truth, I'm not focused on it because crypto is offering exponential returns. So I just, frankly, I don't care what the S&P does. It goes up and down, you know, 5% and everyone's jumping up and down. It's amazing. And that's done it in a month when, you know, Ethereum was up and down 10%, you know, a day <laughs> for two days. You know, it's, it's just right now, it's not relevant to me. I keep trying to explain this. And it's, it's just because I'm trying to maximize my returns. I'm not trying to just stay into my comfort zone. I'm trying to actively be out of my comfort zone because outside your comfort zone is where the magic happens. And those are two universal sets that don't overlap. 
my comfort zone and where <laughs> the magic happens. They're two different things. Excellent. Well, we're all, uh, I, I, I got you out of here in under an hour. Uh, which is good because last time I felt like, you know, I, you had to like reel me in. But uh, I, I, I enjoy doing this every week. Uh, we, we could always, do it. So. Always fun. Thank it's you. always a nice way to end a Friday. And everybody watching, thanks ever so much for all your support. As always, you know, we love you all and we do this for you. And I really do hope you appreciate it and have a great weekend. You as well, Ron. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.